Today, we're joined by Kia Roberts. She's an attorney and she's the founder of Triangle Investigations. We're gonna talk about a lot of different things. We're gonna talk about workplace culture, harassment. She's also an entrepreneur and she's got an app called Telly and she's gonna tell us about getting her business started. She's off to a great start. She's making early hires. She's getting press attention and we're really excited to be talking to her today. Let's jump in. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. So, Kia, you've had a fascinating career. How did you and your career really prepare you to start Triangle Investigations? I mean, I know you've done a lot before, so go in as much as you want, but what led you to the point of starting your own business? Got it. So I got my undergraduate degree at Duke. I then went on to get my law degree at Vanderbilt and then spent about a decade in the district attorney's office here in Brooklyn, New York, which was an amazing experience that was prosecuting cases like robberies, burglaries, rapes, sexual assaults, and I finished my time there as a homicide prosecutor. I then went on to the NFL to be the first ever director of investigations. And within that job, I conducted investigations into NFL players and employees accused of violating the NFL's code of conduct. So in 2018, I went on maternity leave. My husband and I were expecting our second baby. And this is when the Me Too movement was really catching fire, right? And you were constantly hearing about a new scandal or issue within a different organization or powerful men were really being held to account for some really bad behavior. And I just got really inspired. And I thought, you know, I have a weirdly perfect resume for this moment to set up my own shop where all I do is misconduct stuff all the time. Um, definitely felt nervous about doing it. Um, but I got to a point that I started to feel like I was going to regret it if I didn't. And I didn't want to get to a point two or three years down the line to look back and say, I wonder what would have happened if I launched my own business at that particular moment historically. So I got the idea. Um, and then we were just got it, got it up and running. What were some of the things that gave you the most um, pause, the uh, things that made you the most nervous about starting your own business? Client acquisition and retention. So I've learned, so I'm, I'm going into year two here, and I've learned that although, you know, I have a very particular skill set and I've handled every investigation from harassment all the way to homicide, that doesn't necessarily translate to clients. Um, so having a really good marketing, um, really good marketing push is super, super important. And that is something, honestly, I always like to say, I know what I don't know, right? I can do an investigation that'll knock your socks off. Do I know how to market myself? <laughs> Not necessarily. So I've been working with someone who's been working as a fractional chief marketing officer for me. She has exceeded every expectation I had and has really helped me in terms of getting new business and putting me on people's radars. That's a good point. So it, for somebody who may not have the marketing side, you recommend, you had great experience going to a firm and saying, hey, help me out here. I don't know what I'm doing. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And this is someone I found via a platform. This was not an introduction. This wasn't a referral. We just happened to meet at the exact right moment. And, you know, marketing really, really is a science. Um, and I honestly don't know 
if all the, you know, Amazon bestsellers in the world can really help you perform at a really high level of marketing. That's just my personal opinion. No knocks to people that are trying to do it that way. Um, but for me, it felt right to invest the money into that because that money is now paying for itself in terms of new business. Well, why don't you tell us about who you do work with? So the marketing is working, you're getting customers. Who are your customers and what kind of problems are you solving for them? Right. So Triangle Investigations is a group of lawyers and expert investigators doing misconduct investigations. So things sexual harassment, discrimination, retaliation, bullying within workplaces, schools and other organizations, which is a very long way of saying everyone is our client. Right. So if you have a situation where you have two or more people working together, there is a chance for misconduct. There's a chance that bullying might occur or harassment or retaliation or discrimination or sexual harassment. So it's been really broad. When I first launched Triangle, I really thought that my pool of clients was going to be small to mid-sized businesses, but it has been completely across the board. So small to mid-sized businesses, global nonprofits. Um, city agencies, private schools, pre-IPO startups. It's, it's really been, it's really been the whole range. And I think that's because over the last several years, this has become such a hot button issue. You know, harassment, workplace culture, how people are treated at work that, you know, no matter what your organization or setup is, you can't afford a scandal of any sort. So I think a lot of organizations have realized that. I also think a lot of organizations, whether you're a private school, a small business, a high-end restaurant group, have realized that you perhaps don't have that internal capacity and bandwidth to handle something when it comes up, right? So who's doing the investigation when five waitresses are saying they've been sexually harassed for the last six months by the bartender, right? Um, and I think there's a lot of been, been a lot of soul-searching going on about what that process needs to look like. Would you say this has been harder? I mean, you deal with some of the worst people. I mean, racists, uh, you know, uh, misogynists, literally murderers going back uh, to your earlier work in your career. Uh, was it, is it more scary when you're trying to get new customers or dealing with those kind of people? Did you feel like dealing with the worst people in society was harder or is it put, taking a chance and putting yourself out there, which is scarier? Because you tell me what you did in your career. I literally can't imagine doing that. Um. You know, the client acquisition and retention piece has definitely been a learning curve. I think finally kind of getting my pacing going with that and we have, you know, really a good amount of business coming in at this point. That was challenging. By the time I left the DA's office, um, I always say that job will put hair on your chest. And, you know, by the time I left, I did not scare easily in terms of who I was speaking to. I mean, within that position, I was interviewing people that had killed someone in a small, we were in a small room together and, you know, they're handcuffed to the wall. So, you know, that gets you at a certain point in terms of your poker face and, you know, <laughs> how, how to, how to keep your cool, um, in, in high stress situations. So, you know, that was a really valuable skill set that I got at the DA's office. That's, that's amazing. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, I think when a lot of people think of this work, it, my impression is that it tends to be low tech, right? It's like what you're talking about. It's a conversation in a room. It's documenting, it's taking notes, but you've also got Telly, which is a technology platform that you're building as a part of the business. And so there's, there's two things I want to explore here. One is the fact that you're doing this in a high tech way, but two, that technology also seems like it's creating a much greater surface area 
a lot more potential for misconduct to occur. Um, so it seems like, but you're using technology as part of the way to address that, which I think is really interesting. Can you talk about that? Right. So, you know, what's very interesting is over the last several years, there's been these really huge shifts in legislation, like actual laws relating to sexual harassment, misconduct, and what an employer's liability is as related to it. So here in New York State in 2018, a huge raft of legislation went through that had a million provisions in it. But one of them was that, you know, really raising the bar for what employers need to do to create spaces that are free of misconduct and sexual harassment. And one of the provisions that was within that legislation, and I find this to be like fascinating, I can like really nerd out about this, but it was like a provision saying that employers are responsible for sexual harassment that happens at work, whether they knew of it or not. Can you like that? I mean, think about what that means. So prior to 2018, it was a defense for an employer to say, we are sorry that Sarah was sexually harassed. We did not know about it. And that could serve as a bit of a defense if there was a lawsuit and it went to court. That doesn't make a difference anymore, whether you knew about it or not. So how is an employer all places at all times with their finger on the pulse of what's going on? And that's where the idea for telly came from, right? So the idea of, you know... We don't know. We don't know. Like, see no evil, hear no evil. It doesn't exist and it doesn't work anymore. Like, legislatively in New York, it doesn't work from a liability perspective. And also doesn't work anymore in terms of, like, social media and cancel culture, right? As we've seen over the last few weeks with, you know, employees piling on to these companies that have really had this outward display of support for Black Lives Matter and diversity and employees just ripping them to bits about the experience that they had at these different organizations. So this moment, and what Telly does is it gives employers a way to keep constant, constant pulse checks of what's going on within their employee group or within their student body or whatever the organization might be. So can you tell us about the experience of Telly? How does that work from, is it, is it every employee has it on their phone? Is it just managers? How does this work from a customer perspective? So when a client hires us and they would like to use Tally, we license it to the client. So we meet with the organization, we onboard everyone with how to use it. It's very easy to use and it can be downloaded from the app store or from Google Play. Then when an employee signs in or a student or a waitress, depending on what the organization is, right? They can log in either using a four-digit pin code or biometrics, so their eye or their thumb, and then it's just a very easy to use procession of screens. Like, what happened? Were there any witnesses there? You know, and walk you through it, basically giving a very bare bones accounting of what happened. Once we receive that complaint, because we receive it immediately on our end at Triangle, within 24 hours of having received the submission, we've made outreach to the person who made the complaint. Within 72 hours of receiving the submission, we provided the client who hired us with the full investigative roadmap of what the investigation is going to look like and the steps that we're taking to conduct the investigation. Oh, wow. So you're not you're not just taking these in to like file in an HR drawer somewhere. These are acted on. Right. These are act on. This is what happened at this date. This time we're on it. There are times when we're doing those investigations independently and then some organizations want us to do the investigation in conjunction with their HR or whoever their accountability person is, you know, kind of approach it from a two, a two person perspective, but that's the process. Tell me about, so you've got the product, you've decided to invest in a product and then you also have your services. How do you, as the 
founder and the leader of this organization, how do you split your time between those things? You know, talking to, to your developers versus uh, delivering services versus doing sales. That you're wearing a lot of hats. How do you how do you think about your day and how do you split your time up between those responsibilities? Right. So the product is directly an extension of my services. So they really inform each other in terms of the demand and development. So what's coming through via the submissions is what's basically informing the policies that we need to write for your organization that are customized for your particular group. They're then informing maybe some trainings that you need because we keep on seeing the same issues coming up again and again. So they're really well integrated. Um, and the complaints that come in help to customize and format the solutions that an organization needs to address misconduct. Oh, that's wild. So you have, you're in a unique position because you also understand not just what companies need as far as investigations and harassment claims, but also the laws. Like, what do they need to be doing to follow these laws? Exactly. That's so really cool. we offer um, a 360-degree customized solution. No organization is the same, right? So one of the things we do when we first get hired is we'd like to look under your hood, as we say, and see, you know, what, what's been going on these last few years? What are the complaints? Is it sexual harassment? Is it discrimination? Is it retaliation? Is it that this is just generally a toxic and bad workplace? And once we really pinpoint what the issues are, then we go from there saying, you know, we need to do maybe an accountability audit, which is really becoming a hot ticket item at this moment um, after the last few weeks of you know, so many CEOs having to resign because of misconduct and racism and discrimination within their organizations. Organizations are now coming to us saying, we want an accountability audit done. So that means before we get excoriated in the press, can you come in here and can you see what the last few years have looked like and let's figure out, you know, very actionable steps to make things better for our employees generally or people of color specifically. It just depends on exactly what it is that they're looking for. So it's interesting. We're talking about the accountability audits. I just want to take a step aside here really quick, just for like listeners. You know, we talk about a lot with the show solving a real problem. And so this is a case where, you know, Kia and her team, they're building an app that solves a problem that they have in real time. It's not just like some dorm room idea. It's not some napkin idea. Like you have to build, if you're going to invest in a product, you have to really be confident. And I think this is such a good way to do it. Now, Kia, are you, um, have you taken investment on to build this product out or are you bootstrapping it? In investing it with your own services? So I'm bootstrapping it and investing in my own services. As most of our money is coming in at this moment, a lot of it's going back out for marketing in different forms and, you know, keeping the app in good shape with app development. But I am bootstrapping self-funded. I love that. I think that's, I think this is just such, I think this is the future, I think, for companies or people who really want to be a business owner and, and solve a problem. I mean, I really believe in that. I mean, there's, I understand that there's constant, circumstances where people want to take venture capital on but i mean you've been in this space for decades you know it really well you're providing the service but i just i love to hear that i think that that is really really where long-lasting companies come from you know that reminds me of Basecamp, how they started doing web design um and then they built a project management tool and then they've been doing that project management tool for a long time uh, i love hearing that right yeah i i think vc's kind of overblown um I, it, it's a bit of a bubble from what i've seen um, as far as they just, you know, they dump money into growth into something that may, may or may not be solving a problem. So that's really cool to hear that you're able to bootstrap your own company. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Let's talk about what it's like just on a personal level for folks that are within these organizations. If they're just as an employee, you know, 
the chances are if you're listening to this show and you're thinking about starting your own thing, you might be in a difficult situation. You might be working for a poorly run organization where there's misconduct. If someone's stuck in an organization like that, they're dealing with harassment, bullying, discrimination, whether it's, you know, race-based or gender, what do they what should they do? What do you recommend if they don't have someone who's working with you or with Triangle Investigations? They feel like they're maybe isolated. How sh- what should they do first? That's a good question. So I think that a lot of people struggle with this. Um and that struggle leads to a lot of different things, you know, people leaving their jobs, um, you know, a lot of great emotional and mental distress from being in these really toxic workplaces. So I always tell people the first step is if you're in a situation and you know that things are going on that are not right or are making you feel uncomfortable, you're being otherwise, you know, disrespected at work, document, document, document. Write down every single thing that is happening as it's happening. That's the date, the time. On June 20th, I was in the coffee room and Dan came up to me and said that my shirt looked tight. Just making this up, right? Document it, document it, document it. And then as you're documenting it, really start to process how you're feeling and what you think the next steps are that you want to take. Of course, in an ideal situation, you are going to, you know, whoever the third party investigative group is that your company has hired or HR or your boss and making a complaint. For reasons that are too many to count, a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, really think that through. Do what you feel most comfortable with and what's best for you. And then if you get to a point that you really feel like, you know, there's going to have to be some action taken, do your research about finding a lawyer that can help you in terms of, you know, maybe negotiating a severance for you to get out of that job, um, maybe filing a notice of an intent to file a lawsuit. And really do your research around the statute of limitations. Some states have a limit on how long you can wait before you file a claim alleging discrimination, harassment, retaliation, or other misconduct. And some states, interestingly enough, have commissions that look into misconduct, and that does not require you to even have a lawyer. You can go straight to that commission and make your complaints known, and sometimes those commissions will actually hold hearings, and um, you haven't had to basically, you know, hire a lawyer or pay for anything out of pocket. Let's shift over to the leadership side. And Sean, I know you had some questions on this. I just want to ask one to get started. When leaders get this wrong, what does that look like? I have a suspicion and I've got some personal experience in this area. I suspect that if if there's a company where there's a lot of misconduct going on, that that's... um, suggest there are other problems. I have a hard time believing everything's okay at a company while there are, you know, managers being, you know, racist against people who report to them or sexual harassment. I have, in other words, I suggest that if you're doing these things wrong, there's probably other things wrong. Is that your experience? I mean, what does that look like? Or is it, or do you just come in surgically? Yep. We fixed the one problem. We got the one manager. Everything's all better. We got rid of the bad apple kind of thing. That's that's a great, great question. I think that's really insightful. So here's what I've learned about the work that we're doing, which I think has been kind of interesting and something I hadn't thought through when I first launched the business. Companies that are bad actors are usually not hiring us, right? It's almost, it's almost like a method of self-selection. Like if you're interested in a toxic workplace and this is the way things have always been, you're not hiring us paying us, engaging with us, none of the above, right? So if we're working with you, you're an organization that someone in a position of power has decided, this is the workplace that we want to have, this is the organization that we want to have, and hiring Triangle is an actionable step of what we're doing to achieve that. So that's been a very weird self-selecting thing that's happened, um, 
Because I think if you're one of the bad guys, I don't think you're hiring us, right? For what purpose? Um, when companies get it wrong, that is an excellent question. I think the last few weeks have shown what happens when companies get it wrong, right? So, you know, CEOs having to resign, high employee turnover, really, really long-lasting damage to your brand, your reputation. Sometimes, you know, your stock values, the, the list goes on and on and on. One of my favorite stories that I always like to tell, and this happened before I launched Triangle, was, um, you know, if you ever really read the timeline of what happened with the CEO of Uber and him being forced out about misconduct within that workplace, I mean, it reads like a movie script. You know, this employee writes on her own personal blog, right? It's not the New York Times. You know, I've had a strange year at Uber and walking through the series of aggressions that she felt there as a female employee and just various bad things going on. And it really ends up catching fire. Now there's, you know, all these exposés about the culture at Uber. And it's then, and then before you know it, Eric Holder, you know, the former attorney general for the United States of America, is coming in there to do a full investigation and audit. And then like a month later, the CEO is walking out of a hotel in, in Chicago with a cup of coffee. And the board members like literally catch him off guard coming out of the hotel and say, you must resign immediately. Right. Wow. That yeah. starts from one blog post from one like rightfully dissatisfied employee who had these very specific experiences. And that's what it set off. Right. And there are some people that say that Uber has never really recovered from that. Right. In terms of its stock, in terms of workplace morale, in terms of how it's, you know, viewed reputationally speaking. So what I think has been fascinating about the past few weeks is that um, employees are in a position right now where they're making demands and they're being heard. And I think at this point, there's going to have to be follow through. Right. I, I think I think that's where we are now. And, you know, I think the diversity and inclusion stick has gotten really stale and people don't want to hear anymore about DNI and you're committed to a diverse workplace. But people of all different colors are being treated horribly and passed over for promotions. And, you know, there's lots of favoritism going on. I don't think that's going to last too much longer. And I think what's happened is this really cumulative effect of what happens when you treat people badly for an extended period of time. Like I call it death by a million paper cuts. Right. So it maybe in and of itself was not the worst incident that this person was spoken to this way or. You know, that in, that in that a manager behaved in this manner, when you put all of those things together, the cost for employers can be immense. Um, in New York State in 2018, um, a woman who worked at a sugar factory in New York State filed a complaint and ended up taking it through to trial and she alleged sexual harassment. That is one woman. OK, this is not a class action. That one woman got a judgment of $13.4 million, right? That the, these are the numbers that we're talking about these days. Um, last year, a court affirmed a judgment of $1.6 million for an employee who fly, filed a claim against his employer, and he said he was being cyberbullied. Cyberbullying and got $1.6 million. So I think even in this moment where a lot of employees are working remotely, the really hot button issues, your discrimination, retaliation, sexual harassment, discrimination, all those things can happen if you are, you and I are in the same room. They can also happen if we're working in two separate houses. So I think employers have to be really cognizant of staying on top of this, even while their employees are not physically located within the office. Yeah. 
So I have a question about, we're talking about leaders and if they're, earlier you said if the leaders themselves are the bad apples, then they're probably not going to hire you anyway, right? That's, that's a whole separate set of issues. So let's take a scenario here where you've got a leader they're, they want, they really want to be committed to inclusion, diversity, non-discrimination, no harassment, and they, they're looking down at their company, they're looking at their company, and they're not sure. Um, what, what, what might be some, you know, one option is to say, hey, let's, let's hire Kia and her team to take a look at my company and look, peek under the hood, as you said. But, you know, what, what might be some symptoms that they could look for to clue them in that like we might have a problem that's kind of bubbling beneath the surface, right? There's no formal complaints file, but like what might be I looking for? Like high turnover? Like what's the symptoms here? So I think high employee turnover is an excellent example. Um, and then not only looking at high employee turnover specifically, but going a level deeper. Is it a certain type of person that keeps leaving? Why has every black person that's been hired in the last three years left? Why has every person that identifies as being LGBTQ+, why have none of those people been promoted in the last five years, right? So I think it's really digging into the metrics of what does your group look like? What is it composed of? What are our numbers? Who's getting hired? Who's getting fired? Who's getting promoted? Who's quitting? Um, you know, who might be making complaints? And once you've really parsed that out and drilled down on it, I think it usually will give you a little bit um, of a heads up as what you need to be focusing on and where the pain points might be. That's a really good point. So as somebody who might be starting their own company, um, what might you recommend to create a culture of no harassment, inclusion? Like what what's you know the opposite of that, right? I'm just starting a company and I want to make sure that I'm doing a good job. What are your recommendations for somebody? I think that people have to be hugely intentional about what they do and don't want, right? So We've all had jobs, you know, all of us, and every workplace culture is different. And culture can be, does work start at 8 a.m. or does work start at 10 a.m.? Can you work from home? Can, you know, do you have to wear suits to work? I mean, like, those are very kind of non-important cultural factors. But, you know, the workplace culture is what is allowed here and what is not. That's what workplace culture is. Um, so really being intentional about what you want that to look like. You know, I'm sure you guys have heard of it. It's called like the no jerk policy. You know, that means we don't care how good you are at whatever skill set. We don't allow jerks here because it's not good for the company. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for the work that's, you know, trying to be done. So I think that people that are launching their own companies really need to think about what their non-negotiables are, as we say. So what will be tolerated at my company? What will not be tolerated under any circumstances and really articulate and define that write it in the notes section on your phone and just keep it with you you know as you start hiring and as the company starts growing that this is what I want my company to look like and really try to stick to that which I know gets difficult as organizations grow and you know startup founders and owners don't necessarily have their fingers so much on the pulse of everything that's happening at every given second but I really think that that can be done I think that can be accomplished. And so to enforce some of these, right? Because you can you can give it all the lip service you want, right? Like, oh, it's in our rules. But then I'm, I'm assuming at some point you have to make a hard decision to be like, you know what? There was several harassment claims filed against this person. We have to let them go. And so I'm assuming like 
you have to enforce that, right? Like, don't just, you know, oh, we're all inclusive, yay. And then it's like, why is it only white dudes working at this company, right? Like, you have to, you know, walk the walk too. So what do you recommend from a leader to make sure that they are, they're doing their due diligence, right? Is it is it documenting everything? Is it hiring certain people like HR or your team? What might that look like? It's documenting things. It's following through when complaints have been made. It's doing full investigations when necessary. It's also really being mindful and thoughtful about the hiring process from the beginning. So I read a really interesting article last year in the Times about um, why diversity in workplace is just not keeping up, right? Especially at tech companies where the numbers are really horrific. And what I found so interesting was that they said that one of the biggest sources for any job, no matter what company you work in, is people get there by referrals. And that's how places are staying very, you know, white and homogenous, right? So, you know, chances are, you know, maybe there's people that don't have the most diverse set of friends or colleagues or people that they went to engineering school with or went to law school with or undergrad. So then it becomes kind of self-perpetuating because when everybody starts feeding into their network, here are my five referrals, but it's a referral group that pretty much looks like the person, it's very difficult to get that diversity built in there. So a lot of companies have been doing some very interesting things with doing specific outreach to historically black colleges and universities um, and, and doing some good recruiting there. And then there's also been a shift, which is going to be really interesting, to almost these recruiting fairs that are really specifically focused on, you know, minority candidates or LGBTQ plus candidates. And I think you have to take those steps to be intentional because just straight schools and referral systems seem to perpetuate companies and organizations really looking looking the same that's that's true i mean even in in the tech world um you know i I think the the group of people to pull from in a lot of tech fields is still very much white and male unfortunately and and that's kind of a self-perpetuating thing too where i see a lot of toxicity among you know you go onto a forum and they're like oh you're a woman and they they're like suddenly harsher on that person for like, yeah, I'm like, I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in forums. I've seen it happen at conferences and it's, it's taken conference people, you know, to step in and say, no, we, we're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior. But for whatever reason, if you're not one of the in crowd, one of the white males at a conference, you're suddenly scrutinized much harder, right? You have to prove yourself. And it's like, this, this is ridiculous. No wonder that like, it's just a self-perpetuating machine for tech. So then when companies go to hire, it's all white males. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the answer for that is that we have to get to a point where the workplaces and groups are so integrated that it's not a thing that there is a black engineer on the team or a female engineer on the team or an LGBTQ plus person on the team. We have to get to the point that no one bats an eye at that because we're a diverse team of people and we're here to do the work. And that in 2020, you know, it still raises eyebrows that there's a female engineer just shows that, you know, there's a lot of work still to be done. Yeah, I, I'm thankfully seeing more women in engineering. Um, I More of these conferences I go to, especially the people who are putting them together, um, make sure that that, you know, the, the discrimination is not tolerated. I'm seeing more and more. Last time I went to Supercon, I think they had like 40% women. Which, which was, is amazing. Which was great, right? It's still not parody, but it was darn close. And I was so thrilled coming from a white, mostly male engineering school where like, oh, it's the one woman in your engineering class to like 40%. I'm thrilled about this. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
There's one, it's interesting to me, I, it, just kind of working a lot with these uh, folks that are starting these types of companies. It's, you know, there's a lot of courage when they say, oh, I'm going to disrupt this multi-billion dollar industry, right? Like, I'm going to ship this product in two weeks. There's this uh, bravery that comes with that. And just starting the company and quitting your job. and But then when there's this discomfort about, well, you know, that's a good manager. I don't want to like scare them off. It's like, hey, I thought you were a big shot. I thought you were going to disrupt how we travel. Which is it? You know, are you a big shot? Are you the alpha dog? Or are you a coward? And are you going to let someone get away with totally unacceptable behavior? And the sort of the counter I've heard is people say, well, I can only fight so many battles. I can't do everything at once. And it's like, okay, like I get that. Maybe you're using a plastic straw. Maybe, you know, maybe you can't be the perfect person at all times. But non-discrimination, you know, being anti-racist, having a comfortable workplace, that's table stakes. If you can't start a company and have people feel comfortable in your space, you shouldn't have started it. And now that you've started it, I feel like you just, you have to see it through, even though it's uncomfortable. You know, there's no other way around it. You want to be, you want to put CEO on your card, do it, be it. And I think that that's hard. I think sometimes people get fatigued. They're like, oh, I'm fighting all these battles. And it's like, well, you have to fight this one too. Sorry. Right. Right. And I think that with respect to being intentional about diversity and hiring and creating really inclusive workspaces, I think there has been a really new establishment of a base standard over the last three years, right? Like certain things are just not acceptable anymore. You know, I, I, I get clients lots of different ways. Sometimes they're calling me before something happens. Sometimes they're calling me because something has officially blown up, right? Whether you hate social media, cancel culture, there's lots of different opinions on it. It's very real and it's a very scary thing. And, you know, unfortunately, that is what it has taken for some employers, you know, to, to get themselves into line and, and to do what they need to do. And I think it's because people are frustrated, right? I, I think I had a, I had a major investigation recently and what, um, what kicked this company to me was that a group of employees within the organization who really felt that it was a toxic workplace basically, you know, had this pact among each other as they're all leaving one by one because it was just a really, really difficult place to work, that they were going to go on Glassdoor and write scathing reviews about the company. And they did it, and it became so much that it, it, it could not be ignored anymore, if that makes sense, right? Like, we have to address this. We have to look into this. Um and I think that people are using different mouthpieces to, to voice their concerns about their workplaces. What we do is instead of find, you finding out about it on Glassdoor via social media, let's do it another way, right? Let's, let's try to keep it, let's keep it internal, but we're going to approach this in a thoughtful manner with a lot of emotional intelligence and see it through. But let's do this before you get the social media Twitter storm, you know, and there's stories written about what a horrible organization you are and how people should not buy your products or, or use your services. Yeah. So there's, there's like pain avoidance on the one hand, like you don't want to get in trouble. And then there's also, it sounds like if you're willing to ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure. Like, Hey, you, you could just build a better company. People could be more productive. Absolutely. And what we say to a lot of the clients we're speaking to them is what we cost is a fraction of what it's going to cost you <laughs> in lost business. You know, maybe having to go get a lawyer to defend yourself against costly lawsuits, um, a crisis communications PR person, right? We, we cost a fraction of that. 
And we're going to stand there in that gap and put the buffer and the process and mechanisms in place so that you hopefully never get to that point. I feel like it's like any homeowner knows this, right? The plumber is like, hey, we should probably fix this pipe. Like, you don't have to. You're just going to be swimming in your own, uh, you know, number two. Your call. No, that's exactly right. It's so Now, that's that's such a good, that's a very good analogy because when I, I when, you know, we first started to get clients, I started to realize that this company and what we do has a serious risk management component to it. Really? Like, and, and I don't think that's something that occurred to me as I was like, you know, spinning through my idea for the business. But from a risk management perspective, it makes all the sense in the world, you know, unless you just want to roll the dice until the lawsuit comes or the public embarrassment and shaming comes. So I feel like, especially at this moment, those are what your options are. So what is, so what would you recommend for somebody who's just starting out and they're looking at hiring their first one or two employees? You, you, you mentioned like make those things clear up front. Um, but I imagine a lot of CEOs or a lot of new founders it's going back to what you said earlier. They're like, oh, I've got so many things on my plate. I can't think about this up front. Is it one of those like you can you can kind of put it off for a little bit until you can hire help with it? Or is it like, no, you need to really set aside time because this is, you know, if it's not important now, um, you're going to regret not spending time on it. Now. Right. So, you know, I know startup founders necessarily don't don't necessarily have the money from the beginning to hire a DNI consultant to help with hiring and retention. Right. It's you <laughs> right. by yourself. You're trying to figure it out. I mean, this is a situation where I sometimes feel like an Am a good Amazon book might work out. You know, read up. What's the process? How should you be finding employees that really have the values and the resume of who you want to work with you? And to be really intentional and mindful about that. I'm very big on soft skills as opposed to hard skills, um, which is to say you could be the most brilliant investigator on the planet. But if I think you're going to be a pain to work with, I'd just rather not. Right. I just, I can't, I can't do it. Um, we're too small. There's not enough of a, of a gulf between you and me that I'm not going to have to deal with you. So, you know, really think through, you know, what kind of person do I want to be interacting with, you know, constantly? Cause that's startup life. Right. And, and what do I want that relationship to look like? And what do I want that person's behavior to look like, you know, that's consistent with how I want our company to operate. Yeah. I, I always remember something my mom told me years ago and it was, I, I can't train attitude. And I love that. That's good. That's good. Um, do you have any books you particularly recommend? Um, absolutely love Book Yourself Solid. Love it. Very, very good book. Um, I actually like the picture book version of it that you can fill in. Um, my fractional chief marketing officer that I've been working with recommended that book to me. And it's just so good for taking your business ideas and putting them on paper in a really cogent and simple manner. Um, and I was speaking for myself and probably lots of other startup founders. You are so in the weeds all the time doing a million different things that, you know, you need to start off and kind of come back to yourself and say, I do this for this group of people, which helps them do this. And it really helps you to, to get that firmly entrenching your mind and that should inform really your marketing and business process from there on out. Excellent. Yeah, we'll put that one in the show notes. Yeah, it's a great book. Outstanding. 
Well, Kia, we, I think this is, there's been a lot to unpack here. I think people are going to want to keep following you. So where can they learn, learn more about your work? Where can they follow you online? You're taking off. You were telling us about some of the things you've got work, you're working on right now. So there's going to be a lot to follow. Where can people see what you're doing? So you can absolutely go to my website, which will be in the show notes. And then additionally within the show notes, we have made the official white paper for how employers should manage employees that are working remotely. I have a lot of predictions about what is going to happen in terms of lawsuits, etc. about six months out, and I think a lot of bad behavior. So yelling at employees, excessive performance monitoring, bosses emailing you all day and all night and on the weekends, discrimination, bullying, all those things, I think, um, I think you're going to start seeing a wave of lawsuits with respect to that, right? Because... The, the main heavy hitters that can happen within the workplace can happen remotely. So we have a definitive white paper addressing that and how employers should navigate that space. And that's at tri- triangleinvestigations.com? That's triangleinvestigations.com, yes. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about that we missed? You know what question we didn't talk about? I don't know if you guys want to do this. Um, what should businesses avoid doing and what are proactive steps that they should take? That is a great question, yeah. Is so, that a good one? Yeah, yeah. We skipped it by accident. So I would say to any business of any size, you cannot stick your head in the sand and hope that it will go away, right? Um, You know, there's so many small businesses in America, two employees, three employees, five employees. And I think that a lot of the media explosions that we have seen have been around the heavy hitters, right? Like these very large companies. And I think a lot of business owners convince themselves, well, that can't happen to me. It can happen to you. And unlike this company, you don't have the money for it, right? Like, you don't have the deep pockets to pay this person the $250,000 that they won in this lawsuit because you probably don't have $250,000 sitting in the bank, you know, at this point of your startup journey. I also would absolutely, absolutely, absolutely encourage people and organization leaders and startup founders to be honest and know what you don't know. Right. And if you don't know anything about this space and you don't feel comfortable doing an investigation, do your research and hire an outside third party to help you get on track with that. Because the consequences of these things when they go wrong are really limitless in how many ways. And it can be, you know, potentially catastrophic to your business and to your bottom line to get a really costly lawsuit you know, while you're growing and progressing. And to your point, not even not even just a costly lawsuit, but, you know, thank goodness for the era of transparency, because if a few employees who are disgruntled, they go leave some reviews on a budding business, some bad reviews on Glassdoor, you might not be able to hire anybody good ever oh, after absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we're seeing this era where employees are really being empowered in ways that are, you know, making organizations and leaders very uncomfortable and they really have to be proactive with how they're approaching these issues. Yeah, you're, you're being held accountable as the leader of that organization and that's not a bad thing. This actually sparks two quick things. So on the glass door front, it's very interesting. Um, I'll, I'll just, I won't say like kind of where this knowledge comes from, I'll just say in general. What happens when someone's within an organization when the glass door reviews start coming in? Uh, glass doors sales process actually kicks off where you'll get automated emails and they say, Hey, it looks like a lot of people are noticing your profile. This is all, this is like marketing automation at play, uh, which is really funny. And so what I've I've heard the process described is that 
all of a sudden, hey, a lot of people are noticing your employer profile. Do you want to start paying us to manage your employer profile? You can brand it. Yes. You can, um, you can have, you can, it, it's kind of like the conversations around Yelp where, you know, they're like, hey, you know, you can promote certain reviews. You can upload pictures of your workplace. You can, if you're a paying member, you can um, basically have a little more control over the page. Are you interested in talking with our team to learn more? And I don't that know. That is fascinating. It's very interesting. Is Glassdoor taking reviews down? I am not sure. Um, I don't want to speak to that. I don't want their lawyers to sue me. I don't know. But my understanding of the process is that um, it's kind of like uh, they allow you to curate the space is my understanding of the process, right? So whether you whether they delete things or whether they just are more maybe in, persistent about promoting certain reviews and p- putting certain content at the top of the page and making some of things harder to find, I don't know. And maybe this has changed. A lot of this is hearsay. And, but it's interesting because they probably had some engineer build some of this, I'm assuming in the beginning, where it's like, oh, people are noticing this company in a good way. That, right. That's right? Really like everyone is talking about your business. You know, it's very interesting. And this is something that I learned that just kind of made me think of. So I've been doing a lot of work this calendar year specifically with nonprofits, like really big nonprofits with multi-million dollar budgets. What has been fascinating to me is that when these companies, I'm sorry, these nonprofits start to really bubble up as bad workplaces. So whether that's via social media, glass door reviews, what's happening for them is donors are taking their money out. So that has really been interesting. And of course, would not necessarily apply to, you know, small privately owned businesses. But it's been very interesting working in the nonprofit space and the value that they attach to the work that we do. Because some of the nonprofits I've gotten have had large donors calling specifically and say, listen, if you guys have a work, you know, if women are getting sexually harassed all the time in there, I'm not, I'm not giving you any money. I like the, I like the, I like what the organization is doing. I like the goals, but that's not something I want to support. So I've been finding that nonprofits have a real vested interest financially, right? Like a very tangible interest in really protecting, um, their reputation and how they're running these organizations that are centered around like um, philanthropic causes. I've seen businesses as well. Gravity Payments, uh, the CEO, Dan Price, pretty famously like set a minimum wage of $70,000 uh, for their employees. And, you know, they're really intentional, you know, that, but yeah, they're really intentional about that. And like, I think that they're getting traction because of that. I think people see that and say, hey, you know, th- that's like a pretty competitive cutthroat industry payment processing and they're treating their employees well. That's interesting. So I think that I think that's happening in the for-profit side too. It's different. The dynamics are different, but I think the spirit of it is similar. Right. Absolutely. One of the things I've noticed, or I remember reading about, I think it was in Good to Great, and I'm assuming every business person has read that, or they should if they haven't, um, is when talking about your mission statement, right? And and most, you know, small to medium to large, like like once you have a few employees, you start developing this idea of a mission statement, what you're about. And I think most companies miss one of the most important parts of that and they talk about what we do for our customers. But in Good to Great, he talks about there should be three components to your mission statement. One is what you provide to your customers. Two is what you provide to your shareholders. And I think you know a lot of companies focus just on that as well and ignoring the big third one. And that is what do you do for your employees? How do you make a good sell, you know, safe workspace for them because they're a part of your culture. They're a part of your family. And if you're not protecting them, you can destroy your company, you know, from the inside out. Right. 
Right. And I think it becomes difficult as organizations become large and that CEO that used to be a CEO of two is now a CEO of 200, right? Um, but I know in my journey and the people that have worked with me on creating Triangle and getting it to where it is, I literally could not have done this without them. I mean, I could not. And that that's from, you know, my, my consultant who helped me with the app development. That's from my fractional chief marketing officer. That's my public relations team. I really, truly consider all of those processes to be a part of like where we are going in a year or two, you know, and that business is going so well. I think it's also very easy to pe for people to lose sight of that when they grow very rapidly and scale too quickly. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's a theme we've talked about in previous episodes for sure, where when that when you're just so focused on growth, what are the things that you're sacrificing on that sort of path to sort of unlimited exponential growth? Um, and that those costs aren't necessarily landing on your income statement, but like you're self-insuring risk. You do have a risk just because it's not strung up in your books. Right. Absolutely. I noticed that from a lot of the, what I call the VC bubble in that you go for growth. There's so many books written about growth, 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 exponential growth, you know, stickiness and all these things so that you can get, you take your VC money, you make this huge marketing campaign, you get all these users to sign up only, only so that you can turn around and sell the company, right? And you, you're not worried about providing a good service, nor are you worried about creating a good, a good family on the inside, you know, with your, how are you treating employees? It doesn't matter. I'm in it just to sell my company and make a quick buck. And it's such an unfortunate um, effect that it's occurred. Yeah. I agree with that, that that's absolutely right. And, you know, that's why some of these startups imploding, nobody necessarily has a heavy heart about it, right? It's like, yeah. well, you know, it, it, it is what it is. So, yeah. The last question I had, a, a theme I've really been trying to think about a lot is basically people who have power privilege, you know, right now, they need to sort of practice horizontal accountability, right? Like with their peers, other CEOs, keeping each other, hey, what are you doing about this? How are you thinking about that? Right? Like I've heard this theme of like, you know, obviously race is a big conversation recently. It's like, hey, white people like talk to each other about this stuff as well. You know, don't just, you know, and over the last few years, this has been a conversation and something I've heard and which concerns me and I, and I don't really know what to do about it. And I'm really curious your advice is, you know, someone says, look, um, I feel like I'm uh, at risk. It feels like there's, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I feel like people are coming at me. And so, or they could come at me in my position of whatever it is. And so it seems like there's this, they're creating this sort of unspoken, like inner circle of people who look and think like them. While on the surface, there's this sort of second circle of a more diverse group of people, whatever that means, but they, but they, you know, they, they act two different ways because, and, and you know, and they think they're being sort of self-preserving and they feel like they are, that people are, you know, kind of have it out for them. And so I don't really know, I don't think that's the right thing to do. And I don't think that these are bad people, but I do think they have some really unconscious stuff that's like weighing them down. And I don't think it's good business, but I don't really know what to say to try to like nudge them a little bit out of that defensive posture. What do you think about that? I know that's a very rambling question. No, that's not a rambling question. I understand what you're saying. And what's happened over the last few weeks um, with all the mass protests and the social unrest, 
has been that a lot of companies are really thinking through how do we have these conversations internally, right? That is a hornet's nest. That is not easy at all because, yes, you want to create space for people to be honest and be transparent. What you don't want to do is create a space in which people are making statements that now are being perceived by a whole new set of aggressions and microaggressions by the people of color, women, LGBTQ plus within the organization, right? You want to sit everyone down in a room together and talk about your experiences. But what happens if somebody says, I don't agree with Black Lives Matter. I don't think police brutality is a problem. Now that's serving as yet another aggression upon, you know, perhaps a minority group within that room. I think it is wildly difficult. I think that is definitely an area that companies need to know what they don't know. And if they need to hire a DNI consultant, you know, to sit in the room and manage those conversations, because that's an art, right? Managing those conversations, they need to do it. I think a lot of organizations have their heart in the right place that they want to have these conversations and want to bring, you know, healing and camaraderie and teamwork and kind of open the channels of communication. But I think when it's done poorly, um, the effects can be can be really bad. They can be really negative. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think just a big theme, it sounds like your work in general is like, hey, find someone who knows what's up, who can help you with marketing, you know, if that's the case or if it's this type of, you know, racial equity work or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting. I'm just this, not going on a tangent, but um, there is, with respect to how this can come for small businesses, there is a fancy pastry shop in New Orleans um, that, you know, kind of a small mom and pop, but very, very popular. And, you know, they got a string of sexual harassment lawsuits and that was it. They don't exist anymore. So we're not just talking like, you know what, I'm sorry Susie's uncomfortable at work. But I have 10 more marketing calls to get on today. No, you have got to address that. You know, if your business fails and it doesn't get to where you want it to be, you want that to happen organically, right? Like just things weren't right. It wasn't the right time. Maybe I didn't do this correctly. What you don't want to have is a situation where you're saying, I got wiped out by a lawsuit because I wasn't correctly managing my employees. That is in your control. That is definitely in your sphere of control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, can't control a pandemic, can't control a lot of things. Why make it harder? Right. You know, when we're talking, and are talking right now to a lot of companies, we say in this time of you know, financial uncertainty and tightening budgets, the last thing you need is a PR crisis or a costly lawsuit. That, that is the last thing you need. So, so how, do we, how do we create a system and a process that, that guards against that? Phenomenal. I love it. I think there's a lot to think about. And, you know, I think these are things that are not just for now for when you're starting a business, but later down the road. And I also just have a ton of respect for what you're doing as an entrepreneur. I mean, it sounds like a really cool company. Um, what are you looking forward to here? You're, you're coming into year two. What are you looking forward to? What's next? Um, year two, I'm looking forward to the fact that I don't have to tell people why we were important. Like in year one, <laughs> I just... You know, what's very funny is, uh, I don't know if I shared this story with you, but the idea for Triangle came to me at 3 o'clock in the morning when I was up with our newborn, and I was on my iPad reading an article about who the Me Too movement had come for in terms of organizations. So, like, think about Mario Batali getting taken down and the whole restaurant industry, and it came for the restaurant industry, and it came for Hollywood, and then it came for universities, Right. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, what's the common thread here? 
what's the common thread that we have these wildly different organizations? And what I really landed on was that a lot of organizations, maybe most, I'm not sure about that, but maybe most organizations don't have the capacity to do this type of work. They just don't. It, it's, it's not a built-in function. Now, listen, some Fortune 500 companies, do they have an internal HR group to look into these things? Yes. You know, there's a whole new thought movement emerging saying that under certain circumstances, you should always hire an inter external investigator, even if you have an HR team, right? So that is saying, you know, the, the kind of best practice now is if you're in a larger company and someone has been accused of serious misconduct and it's director level or above, you need to go farm it out, right? Because it's very hard to trust that internal system. So, you know, HR used to honestly be responsible for like payroll benefits in your vacation days, you know, but you know, the HR umbrella keeps expanding and expanding and now they're responsible for creating misconduct-free workplaces so we don't get our pantsuit off. Does your HR really have the capacity and background to perform a detailed investigation into some really sticky and sensitive allegations? And I think the answer for a lot of, you know, whether you're a company, a business, a private school, right, a university, I, I think the answer for most of those organizations is no, we don't have that function here. I'm increasingly seeing small and even medium-sized businesses say, oh, well, we don't need HR. We're, we're using technology platforms to do our payroll processing. We're using a technology platform to do our employee reviews. We're using a, you know, a SaaS you know, thing to do this and that. And so the, there's not even an internal person there, which is really concerning. That's an excellent point. And that is right at a lot of startups. Like they don't even have an HR person. So they, you know, right. They have an electronic system that's handling payroll, benefits, insurance, days off, and things are bubbling under the surface and things are going on and it's just being acted, you know, like, oh, that's not an issue and that's not happening. Yeah, there's just some internal ops person or whatever who's really just an enforcer of rules uh, who may themselves be responsible or at least blind to some of these things. Right. You know, part of um, with smaller companies that we've been speaking to, one of our questions is, could you survive a $250,000 judgment? Could you survive it? So it gets filed, you settle out of court, and let's say you guys land at $250,000, can your business survive that? And for, the answer for most people is no. Even if business is going great, you know, you can't survive that. So, so, so what do we do to, to, to make sure that you don't get to that point? I, I mean, I, to Harris, to your point, I think, I think it's good that we are automating a lot of, um, you know, payroll and such things. But, you know, what HR looks like in the future may not be that, you know, classic thing of handling payroll and time off. It might be more like, hey, help us, you know, I'm going to use the word enforce. I don't know if that's the correct term here, but create and maintain a company culture, right? And, and you know, make it harassment free, make it discrimination free. And, you know, that may be a full-time job in some companies, but especially for these small and medium companies, you know, you know, having an outside firm help with that, I think is a really good thing. It can't hurt, right? No. no. <laughs> yeah. And being, being, um, and even if you don't think you need a firm right now to handle it, being conscious about it, right? Make, making a conscious effort to create a, a good culture for your company. I think that's super important. Right. Yeah. Well, Kia, this has been awesome. Uh, really appreciate it. We've got, we'll have links in the show notes and we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so yeah, much for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoy talking to you guys. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Hello Blink Show. 
Find show notes at helloblinkshow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash routine.